Hello and welcome to the Sala Podcast. My name is Steph, and for this episode, I caught up with Charisma Cabillo to learn about Indigenous cultural and intellectual property, which you will hear us refer to as the acronym ICIP. Charisma is a solicitor at Terry Janke and Company, which is an Indigenous-owned law firm specialising in this area. Tune in to hear about why existing Australian intellectual property law actually falls short when it comes to protecting Indigenous cultural heritage, and also the vast forms of heritage that the ICIP framework seeks to protect. Charisma. Uh, thank you for sitting down to chat with me today. Hi, thanks Steph, for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk about Indigenous cultural and intellectual property with you. Um, and first, and I'll just acknowledge that we are zooming in because you are in Sydney. Is that right? I'm in Sydney. Yep, yep that's yep. correct. Um, so maybe before we go ahead, I'll just acknowledge that uh, I'm here in Adelaide on Ghana land. Um, and whose land are you on? I'm on Gadigal and Bidjigal country today. Wonderful. Um, well, before we go ahead, let's acknowledge the um, traditional owners of those lands and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Well, let me know a bit about yourself before we dive in. Oh, yeah, sure. OK, so I guess, again, my name is Charisma Cabillo. Uh, I reside in Sydney. However, my mob is from the Larrakia people in Darwin. Um, I am a solicitor at Terry Jenkins and Company. Um, so we are a firm that specializes on, on intellectual property and indigenous cultural and intellectual property, which I'll dive into um, shortly. I've been with Terry for about two and a half years now. Um, and yeah, our team's incredibly awesome. A majority of our team is indigenous themselves. And um, yeah, that's a bit about me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, maybe we'll get stuck in now then. Can you tell me what Indigenous cultural and intellectual property is? Sure. Okay. So I guess, um, yeah, Indigenous cultural and intellectual property, otherwise referred to as ICIP, um, it refers to the rights that I guess Indigenous people have and want to have to protect their, I guess, traditional arts and culture. ICIP is based on the idea of self-determination and there's various rights that includes and that includes the right to protect you know, the traditional knowledge and sacred um, cultural material, the right to ensure uh, that traditional laws and customary obligations are respected, um, particularly when money is made from ICIP. Uh, so again, the right to be paid for the use of ICIP. Um, and I guess it covers a range of different forms. So um, that includes you know, writing, so books and poetry, uh, music, so songs, performances, so dance and ceremonies, um, languages, even tangible uh, cultural properties, so sacred sites and burial grounds. Wow, that's that's quite a broad uh, selection of, of different areas. Yeah, so I guess, um, yeah, ICIP covers, it covers a range of things. So as you can see, it's, um, it covers place, community, culture and living things. So it's quite wide. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, it's, it's dynamic and it's constantly evolving. So I guess these categories are always moving and evolving as well. 
yeah, I guess that's why I can add for ISIP there. Yeah, and actually good for me. I was saying ICIP in my head. So good to know ICIP is yeah, how we're much easier to, to say. Much easier. <laughs> I've stumbled quite a few times. Is it sort of um, synonymous with cultural heritage? Is that possibly another way to That's correct. Of... Great, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's interesting because I think one of the words that comes to mind when we talk about these things is, is copyright. How is this different or how does copyright fall short of, of those needs? So I guess, um, you know, copyright protects that material form. Um, so there's actually a, there's a wide range of differences, actually. So let's say IP protects uh, the expression, so that material form. So let's say if you have a book, it protects the, the way it's written, not the actual information itself. Uh, so I guess that's different because uh, ISIC would protect styles, or I guess, underlining themes. Um, so I guess oral stories and performance would be protected under ISIP, which copyright would not protect. Mm. Uh, copyright's generally owned by the individual, whereas ISIP's communally owned. That's another difference. IP rights recognise economic rights, whereas um, ISIP recognises cultural rights. Uh, IP rights can be assigned, whereas ISIP can be handed down um, as cultural practice through word of mouth. So there's a difference there. And I guess another key difference is that IP is limited in duration. So generally, let's say copyright, for example, that will last 70 years after the death of the owner, whereas ISIP would be ongoing and continuous. Right. So they are actually massive differences in how uh, that is, those lines are drawn. And, and I guess, yeah, I guess in my head, I thought of it as copyright being about something that you personally made and and then you know this cultural heritage laws being more about what you've inherited uh and you know yeah being more about culture and and respecting the different ways that something can belong to you in that sense yeah that's so yeah. so fascinating yeah i mean could be dry on the surface level but <laughs> when you dig down yeah, yeah amazing Why is it important that we do recognise and respect the boundaries of intellectual property? Well, I guess um, as a lawyer and what I've found when working at Terry Denkin Company is not only does it affect the individual and their rights to their culture and uh, the economic benefits that flow from that, it also affects the community um, in quite a substantial way. And uh, what we have found is that it could lead to... Um, banishment from communities um, and in the worst case scenario is death unfortunately but yes I I believe that if Indigenous people's rights aren't protected adequately again it will affect the individual and the community as a whole not just that individual mm, yeah yeah um I understand that Terry Jenkins Company, the firm that you work for, specialises in this area. Um, how recently has that gap in the protection of cultural heritage been addressed? Is it a recent thing or uh, am I just slow to hear about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Um, I feel like since my time at Terry Jenkins Company, um, there's been a real push to recognise ISIP in whatever and whatever form we can possibly do it. Like, as you can imagine, ISIP is not actually recognised um, within Australian law. It is recognised in international law. So under the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, 
However, as you can imagine, that is not impossible. So it has been, I guess, the whole concept of ISIC and protecting it has been something that's been looked at over the, I guess, past 10 years, especially with Terry Jenkins companies. Like she's been doing this for 20 years now. Um, but it's become, I guess, one of the forefront issues that I've seen over the past 10 years. And um, there has been ways that's trying to be addressed. So, for example, um, especially through Terry's work, we're trying to address, um, I guess, these gaps by ensuring that um, we follow protocols, which um, I guess there's various protocols that you can follow. One would be the Australian Council Protocols for the Arts. And another way we protect ISIP is through uh, the use of contracts. So we ensure that you have this written up and that it's enforced by both parties. And um, I guess using IP laws to your advantage as well. So whilst it does have gaps, you can definitely utilize that. Um, for example, if you write down your stories, that material would be protected. But again, you'd have to make sure and be aware that the, the story itself would not be protected just the way it's written will be protected. Mm. Right. So there's still a ways to go then in terms of... There is, unfortunately, yes. But we are getting there slowly but surely. Oh, good. And now moving into thinking about this from a, a visual arts perspective, um, what, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are instances where uh, ISIP and that cultural heritage is is possibly infringed upon by people who are well-meaning and you know possibly just have a a real fixation or interest on on stories and things that um you know perhaps they don't have cultural rights to um how can visual artists be more aware and 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 have a better appreciation for where the line is between perhaps appreciation and appropriation or you know a usage that's not quite permitted I think um education and just your general research will provide those sort of answers um I guess people overlook this because it hasn't been something that's been really spoken about openly and publicly um so we would always recommend that our clients um Indigenous and non-Indigenous do their research to ensure that if they are going to let's say create a painting that they're not going to be appropriating any artworks from different areas and it's so different when looking at you know, that sort of Indigenous side of things because any sort of dot work or line work could in fact come from a specific clan and you have no idea that you're actually infringing on what is rightfully theirs and their cultural heritage and um, recreating that. And I think in terms of the education side of things, which needs to be at the forefront for everyone to sort of understand that this could in fact be wrong, we actually conduct workshops at Terry Dinkin Company, which might be valuable for people who want to learn either, you know, to protect their own interests or to protect others, um, just to get a general understanding. We have a range of workshops, but one in particular that would really, I guess, discuss this at length would be our True Tracks workshop. So I would recommend, I guess, taking a closer look at that if anyone's interested, I, I guess, to sort of give you an idea of what that really entails would be we will dive into intellectual property. So flush that out. What does that mean? Uh, specifically copyright, trademarks. And then we'll go into what ISIP is. So again, um, reflecting on what I've already spoken about, but um, I guess with great detail. And we'll go into also what these what we refer to as our true tracks principles. We have 10 of them. Um, Terry created them a very long time ago. And we would go into what they are and also look at cases to sort of ensure you know how to enforce them on a case-by-case -case basis. 
um, yeah, I think it's a very, um, a very good workshop to attend. So highly recommend anyone to attend that. Excellent. And what we'll do is we'll put links to the workshops in the show notes so that if people are like, oh yeah, that sounds great. They will have a direct way to um, find that information. So that should be really good. Yeah. And we'll put the other protocols that you mentioned. Um, yeah. So I was going to suggest, yeah, there's a, there's a range of protocols. So I guess, I think I mentioned before the Australian council protocols for the arts would be amazing for anyone to take a look at, especially in the sector and a screen, a screen Australia protocols as well would be cool for film. I think that would be another ideal um, protocol to look at. Great. Excellent. I'll put them in the show notes. You mentioned dot painting in there. I think that one's probably relevant because we have a lot of painters in our uh, festival. And and I think when people think of visual arts, that is probably the first medium that people think of is painting. Um, Can you just elaborate a little bit more on um, the grey areas in using dot painting in in work? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I imagine there's this consensus where people think, you know, it's it's dot art and it's, um, I guess it is connected to Indigenous people, but it's something that's frequently used, I guess. Um, so where do you draw the line in order for you to, I guess, seek permission to do it or can just do it freely? Um, I guess it comes down to most or any artworks um, from anyone. I, I guess this has been a practice that's been passed down for you know thousands and thousands of years. And I guess the question also comes up, where do you seek permission if you were going to um, use dot art in for your painting I guess that question comes up a lot where do you actually find that permission and it is difficult and I feel like we at Terry and King Company are always sort of um, trying to ask that question as well Um, if there's a specific or I guess generalized way of painting where do you find that permission Um, and I guess this takes time and um, I would say with the dot art sort of scenario do your research again find out where it's from um, uh, is are you the right person to be doing it? Should you be seeking permission to be doing it? What's the reason for why you're actually creating this artwork? Really dig down there and ask those questions before you jump on in because they can't there can be consequences and there's been a lot of public outcry as well. So it would be best to avoid that type of scenario, I imagine. I'm sure. <laughs> right. And so uh it's there's a lot of reflection to be done when when making those assessments. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, and that's a worthy goal in the general sense anyway, to um, reflect on our intention and, um, and and the consequences because intention sometimes is not enough. Um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. This has been really insightful. Thank you. No worries. I was questioning whether I should add in, um, whilst there's, you know, the appropriation of dot art, there's been appropriation elsewhere that we've seen course we see so much cultural appropriation here on our end with our indigenous sort of clients but this is just a no it's a known thing and we've seen it on a bigger spectrum so for example um Zimmerman I don't know if you've heard of that case study by them but they had um debuted their latest sort of range of swimwear and it included this dress featuring embroidery of peacocks flowers and frills and it was actually inspired by the Wakaka and the Waka Kenyo people so, you know, it, it, it does happen all the time. And that was taken off the range quite quickly once they realized that that was appropriation of culture. 
which is unfortunate. And, you know, even Chanel, for example, they had a boomerang that they used and that was just supposed to be some sort of, I don't know, ornament that you put in your house. But, you know, that is a boomerang has been used for thousands of generations for Aboriginal people. So you can only imagine how disrespectful that would have looked, especially from Chanel, who should have probably known better as a big clothing store. And they, they of course, had no consultation or consent. There was no benefit sharing for the community. Um, I guess these are all just examples of, I guess, yeah, the cultural appropriation that's happening on a day-to-day basis, not only by individuals, but bigger corporations. And it's quite sad to see. But there is, again, public outcry. So it is an issue that's coming to the forefront. And um, hopefully more stuff, more people will do things about this and ask those questions before they do these things. Mm, so, yeah, it really is everywhere. But, yes, by the sounds of it, the outcry that follows hopefully is a sign that the message is getting through and people are becoming more aware and and better able to yeah call out their peers or organizations <laughs> on those things yeah, exactly. oh wonderful oh well thank you so much for your time today um i hope that everyone else is finding this as informative as i have and yeah great to make this a a conversation that an everyday conversation and um it's endlessly fascinating Wonderful. No, thank you so much for having me, Steph. It's always nice to um, talk about these and again, bring these things to light. Well, keep on the good work. And um, yes, I can't wait to publish this one. And yeah, <laughs> hope you'll tune in to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> Thanks, Charisma. <laughs>